Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you for joining us again. Uh, what a roller coaster it's been this last couple of months. Uh, with everything going on, I hope you guys are staying safe and staying relatively sane. I mean, I've found sanity is not all it's cracked up to be, but uh, I hope you're doing the best you can in these trying circumstances. But uh, I'm just happy to be able to uh, have found a way to continue to have these conversations with my friends and to talk about things that A, enlighten me, B, uh, fuel my fandom and passions, or C, just kind of piss me off in general and need a ranting about. So uh, whether this one falls into A, B, or C, we'll find out. But uh, if you want to look for uh, the podcast on Facebook, it is at facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. You can find us on Instagram where I post a bunch of dumb memes. Uh, that'll be at Fuel Your. Or you can find us on our Anchor homepage, which is anchor.fm forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Uh, coming up here really quick, you should also be able to find us on Seattle Wave Radio, uh, which as soon as that all boils down, I will, I will get the links out for everyone for that. But be that as it may, we are here. We are still alive in the middle of our quarantine, and I've decided that I wanted to have a conversation with someone I've known uh, about 19 years, as it turns out, uh, an old college buddy of mine named Anthony. Anthony, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Happy to be here entirely. How are you and yours holding up during this whole thing? I mean, there's only been like two instances of attempted homicide. I think we're doing pretty good on that. Two's not bad. Yeah. I had two today, so. <laughs> but Anthony and I go way back to college, and, and one of the things that I, I distinctly remember about Anthony, back then at least, uh, was that he was a huge fan of The Simpsons, um, which, you know, it's been running for 30-something years now. I mean, 1989, maybe. so yeah. Yeah, Jesus. So maybe he's not a fan anymore. Maybe he is a fan. But regardless of whether you keep up with the current Simpsons or whether you are uh, kind of just an old school Simpsons fan, one thing is for sure, and they always make the headlines with the fact that they have an uncanny track record of predicting events. Now, The Simpsons isn't the only show that has been known to predict things. Uh, in regards to science and technology, we have things like Star Trek uh, giving us jumping off points for technology and where we're going to go with things like cellular phones or medical diagnostic equipment or things like that. Uh, a lot of uh, the science community takes their cues from uh, Star Trek and and. And rightfully so. I mean, they're pretty well thought out. But The Simpsons has a singular unique career as far as predicting events, both politically and pop culture wise. And so I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit about that uh, today. So, uh, Anthony, you are uh, you're very nerdy. As, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's entirely true. Yes. Uh, one of the things I like to do before we set off on the podcast is just, I typically ask my guests uh, to kind of explain a little bit about what they're nerdy about, where their passions lie, what, what kind of fandoms they're familiar with and fond of, and just to kind of get a feeling for who we're talking with. That's fair. 
So I have been a nerd my entire life. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and uh, and video games more or less incessantly. And, you know, I very strongly connected to some of my favorite TV shows. Um, the The Simpsons is, is one of those, um, or at least was. As Kevin alluded to, the show has been going on for 30 years. And sometime around season 13 to 16, I actually don't remember anymore, I kind of stopped following every week's episode uh, and never picked it back up again. I'm, I'm, I've still got my DVDs of seasons one through 10. I still watch them semi-regularly. Uh, we snagged my sister-in-law's Disney Plus subscription and have been watching them on that as well. And, you know, it, it those later seasons, it wasn't worth it. I distinctly remember an episode in which Homer, Mr. Burns, and Groundskeeper Willie go to attempt to capture the Loch Ness Monster, and I didn't laugh once in the entire episode. And then I was <laughs> done watching The Simpsons after that. It was terrible. But, you know, I've got a, lot, I've got a wide breadth of, of nerdy fandoms. I love Star Trek. Love Star Trek. I'm going to, again, say I only watched, like, one season of Discovery because... Uh, we got distracted in pirating it and we were trying to watch the Orville at the same time, which I can oh, is fantastic. Yeah. Cause it's also star Trek. It's, it's better star, star Trek. Trek. It's star yeah. Trek. It is so star Trek. Um, I, I, I still play D and D as a matter of fact, I'm working for home at the moment and I do not have a well ergonomic keyboard for it. And so I set my keyboard on second edition Dungeons and Dragons books that are just kicking around my house that I'll probably not use again, but they're right there. And they they're happen a good to be keyboard there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, 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 whatever. Yes, I am a nerd. I spend a lot of time and brain power on things that have no bearing on anyone at any time. But they do. They have a bearing on you. That's true. They provide me happiness. They provide me entertaining times in my brain. That's all I need, right? That's, I mean, that's the very nature of what a fandom is. It's, it's whatever takes up and occupies your brain space and what makes you happy, what releases those serotonin bubbles into your bloodstream and just, you know, keeps, keeps you moving in this bland and dreary world half the time. Exactly. If someone can't, if someone doesn't have a TV tropes page that they've ever gotten lost in, I don't trust that person, you know? <laughs> I haven't been on TV tropes in a long time. Uh, it, I usually just go straight to the Wikipedia. I mean, it's fair. The, I, I happened to get stuck in a hole on it earlier this week at one point when I wasn't expecting to, because one of my favorite podcasts turns out had a had a page. So, you know, there we go. Nice. Well, and like I said, we talk about all kinds of things nerdy on this program. We, we try not to pigeonhole it into, uh, and, and I say this, all the time, and I'm going to keep saying it because it bears repeating, but uh, the reason I started the podcast, the reason that I do what I do is because not only do I like talking about the nerdy crap that I'm involved with, and believe you me, any nerd worth his salt loves talking about the crap that he's into, but I also really uh, found that I enjoy listening to my friends talk about the things that they're into, uh, even if it's not something that necessarily particularly uh, rings a bell with me or you know tickles that that kind of uh, serotonin happiness level place for me but maybe it's something I never thought of like I was having a conversation with uh, 
with a friend about uh, two weeks ago. We were talking about uh, Supernatural, which oh, I've, yeah. not, I've never watched one episode of. We watched and, a few uh, seasons of that a little while back. Just kind of dropped off eventually. But it's got a rabid fan base. And so, I mean, obviously there's something that people like about it. So uh, That yeah. one, it's the fan fiction. I can tell you that straight ahead. It's, it's <laughs> all about, uh, I, I think that one's, what, Wincest, right? Winchester incest oh, stories? Jesus Christ. Yeah, now it's a thing. Oh. See, that's why I'm afraid to do deep diving into fan theories and fan uh, uh, fiction on, on the internet because it gets rather slashy rather quickly. Almost immediately, yes. <laughs> I mean, one of the key foundations of fan fiction was the X-Files. And the Mulder and Scully will-they-won't-they they was central to the whole thing. And that just meant when fan fiction moved on to, to Supernatural and Harry Potter and all the rest, it just kind of kept that part in there, right? The will-they-won't-they. They. Uh-huh. Well, they did that with uh, Xena, too. I remember, I distinctly remember early forums discussing Xena and Gabrielle as well. But didn't they eventually actually start dating? I don't know. I didn't watch that show. <laughs> I, like, I saw the show, but I didn't, like, watch it. Yeah, I never, like, I, I can't say I never watched it. It was background mm-hmm. uh, during some stuff, but I never really set out with an intent and a goal to... Yeah. Uh, peel into the stories and everything like that which is it's funny because i'm having conversations with a lot of different comic writers who have had their hands in different various fan communities like that and and uh, uh i talked to brandon jerwa a little back and uh, he did an ash ver- or it was a xena versus ash from the the, the army of darkness yeah right uh, i haven't read that one yet <laughs> i told him i would read that because it seems extraordinarily an unlikely pairing. So I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how they pulled that off. But uh, it's, mean, all, it's all slash pick anyway. It's all fanfic anyhow almost at this point. I mean, the absurd pairing fanfiction comic is now like a thing. A couple mm-hmm. of years ago, DC did some official ones where like Elmer Fudd went to Gotham to hunt Batman. <laughs> and... <laughs> It was dark and full of pathos and was fantastic. I, so I'll have to look for that one. The way I consume comics is the way people consume Greek myths, right? I don't own very many comics at all, but I know the stories, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're like Zeus then did this thing and then Superman did this thing. It's, but this one I actually read, like I, I made sure to go out and find a copy of that comic because it is ludicrous it is a ludicrous idea and they executed it so well like the you know early on fudd is in a bar trying to get information on the batman and like all of the bar regulars are also looney tunes characters but they're just humans now you know sylvester's in there with a speech impediment and he's the bartender he's not a cat he just kind of looks like him and has the same speech impediment that's weird yeah it's, it's real weird it's great though but I'll have to look for that. Like the one recently that I saw was uh, Ninja Turtles versus Batman. Oh yeah, I don't know if you saw that one. And then all the the different Batman villains were been hit with mutagen and turned into like these animal mutations. And that's pretty like, good. I think Penguin became a penguin, and I think uh, there, there was a lot of them. Mister Freeze, I think, turned into a polar bear. Oh man, what what would happen if they hit Man Bat with the mutagen? That's a good question. 
I love Man Bat. Just turns back into Kirk. It's like, eh, okay, wiped it out. I guess I'm fine now. <laughs> can, I mean, can I can I go? Yeah, but like that's old, right? Like there there was um in the nineties there years, was a, yeah. there was an X Men versus Star Trek crossover. Those things have been around forever. <laughs> I remember that one distinctly. I read the uh, there was a, tr- a paperback of the further adventures because like the comic book version took place in the uh, uh, the original series universe, so. Uh, the X-Men ended up hooking up with Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all of them. And mm-hmm. then the novel uh, took place in the next gen timeline. And I just, I just want to say, I love that there's a novel. I greatly appreciate that the publishing industry used mm-hmm. to be so flush that they could put out a novel of X-Men versus Star Trek. <laughs> Imagine the pitch meeting. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's gonna make a certain amount of money anyways whatever i don't you know, just do it <laughs> give it to you, this guy <laughs> give him like 20 grand make him write the book <laughs> but uh so yeah there's i mean wow that kind of shit is just it's prevalent it's been around for a very long time you're right uh so yeah simpsons uh if we want to uh, dovetail back into the original topic uh the simpsons has a real long long story career of uh, of doing the same thing that we were just talking about, taking different ideas and mashing them together to see what happens. They, they've definitely got a, a, a kind of a corner of the market on pop culture and, uh, well, I mean, South Park kind of took away from that at that point too. And even South Park even did a an episode called Simpsons Did It. I was Which, already planning on referencing that it, when we got a little further into it, once we started looking at the actual list of stuff that oh, absolutely predicted. Absolutely. But the idea is that the Simpsons have gained this kind of notoriety uh, around the fact that they have been able to quote unquote uh, predict with more or less a fair amount of accuracy certain things in pop culture, certain things in the political cycle, certain things into the news cycle. And so I did a bunch of uh, research of, I wouldn't say some of my favorites, but just some of the more standout examples. And of course, uh, we can't have this conversation without talking about the one that brought the whole conversation up. And right now, the biggest one and the one that's like the most Snopes article recent memory is did the Simpsons predict coronavirus? They had an episode, and I'm going to look at my notes here. Season four, episode 21, in 1993, there was an episode where they order some stuff from China. Uh, a Chinese employee sneezes into the box. The box makes its way over to Springfield, where it is then opened by Homer. and a flu virus spreads. And so there's this four panel comic or four panel meme going around on, on social media right now where they are saying that it, and they've overlapped the word coronavirus onto Kent Brockman's screen. And, and it, and it makes it seem like they knew this was coming. Now, to be fair, they did have an episode in what was it again? 1993, where they talked about a flu virus coming over uh, from China. That's where the similarity ends. 
these people claiming and, and speaking on the fact that it is coronavirus and that they predicted coronavirus and there's the word coronavirus on the screen is it's all that's photoshopped it's fake it's been disproven yeah. a lot yeah it, that's nothing it still runs rampant people are still talking about it as as a simpsons prediction what are your thoughts on that it's shenanigans it, as nearly all of these are going to be they needed a way in in that story to make a flu pandemic hit springfield Here, and when, when did the h1n1 end, hit up the swine flu when was that uh oh nine maybe okay it was That's a while ago that, yeah um but the and like it's not like that's a revolutionary idea. There right. are always diseases just showing up and doing things to people. Even in that episode, like it wasn't a fatal disease. It was just a bad flu that everybody got. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's just a plot line. It's not even a particularly funny way that it got to Springfield either. It's just the way that the Simpsons takes like, the at least in the old formula there was always the the plot in the f- before the first commercial break fa- finds a way to transition into the plot for the entire rest of the episode and they never had anything to do with each other except for like one little transition and that was their way to do that in that case and like no that, that has nothing to do with this because a disease exists and might come from another country is hardly a is hardly a prediction no, it's like a thing that can happen. Surprise! <laughs> a thing that did happen, but yeah, that's like saying I predicted that there would be uh, a bad president, or I predicted that there would be a an assassination attempt. Yeah, of course. Once a, once in a while, there's going to be a bad president. Once in a while, there's going to be an assassin assassination attempt. Shit happens. Exactly. It, it, I was looking at lists of these things as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and there's a, uh, in among it, while we're talking about disease, there was a episode from season nine where, um, there's a, there's a, a, a book called Curious George and the Ebola Virus. Um, <laughs> I really remember that one. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, they predicted Ebola. No, no, they didn't. They knew Ebola existed and make it, made a joke about it. At the same time, the, the computer game Fallout 2 also made jokes about Ebola. you got to find mm-hmm. them. They're hard to find, but it's right there. Are we saying Fallout 2 predicted this? Because i got to be honest, Fallout 2 is probably better at predicting the <laughs> insanity of our current world than The Simpsons is. Boy, is that saying something. <laughs> Nothing good. No, not so, at all. Okay, so we, we, will, we will discount, and, and, and it seems like you've made your position clear on you're going to be the... Uh, the armchair uh, cynic, so I'm cool with that. So what I will do is I will bring up uh, some of these predictions and we'll get your take on them. How's that? Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Because I made a list of, I want to say like five, six of these now. We'll start with kind of the, uh, not the benign ones by any chance, but there was, we'll go back to the early season since that seems to be your, uh, your, your area to be fair uh, i have watched a bunch of the rest of these as well so like like as research for this thing no oh, well i just read a bunch of lists it's been a while since i've seen most of these so not full episodes i looked for bits oh, okay uh season five 
episode 19, Sweet Seymour Skinner's Badass Song. In that episode, Lunch Lady Doris is shown adding horse parts to their elementary school lunches. You recall? Oh, yeah, absolutely. More testicles means more iron. (laughs) And the thing of it is, is that uh, it's not all that far-fetched. It's not. And the fact of the matter is they made a joke about it, and then a few years later, they discovered that, surprise, a lot of hamburgers being laced with things like horse meat and kangaroo meat and... Well, soy, if you're going to Taco Bell. I mean, pure beef, it doesn't exist in restaurant settings almost when it's in a ground beef consistency. And and I guess we've been feeding our kids horse meat and kangaroo meat for a while now. What are your thoughts on that? They, they called it a prediction, uh, that they predicted that we would be serving our children horse meat. Is that a prediction or do you think it was just kind of an understanding it is an understanding right like i have completely spaced the name of the novel the extremely important novel about the meat packing industry that like literally led to reforms in it so you get a little few less fingers in your ground beef um hey. <laughs> forgot about that this is um, finger here you know, um, labor and industries now too, right? Like I get even more insight into that. Well, I'm sure you do. Anyway, um, the <laughs> and, and so like finding some gross thing that like can be substituted. They did that multiple other times, right? There rat was that milk. Wa- yeah, th- th- there was rat milk. There was malk. Now with more vitamin F, like it, they they did it a couple <laughs> of times. That's just the arc of the universe bending towards the absurd in a capitalist dystopia. And we are very much in a capitalist dystopia. Don't be twisted, absolutely, so. absolutely. Um, so is that a, a cue to go to your sponsor then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this is brought to you by Mulk. <laughs> now with more vitamin F. What, what even is vitamin F? Jesus it doesn't Christ. exist. That's that's oh. the other part of the joke. Oh, okay. You know what? It might be riboflavin, which is the vitamin you use for time travel. I'm not sure where that comes from, but that's funny. Um, okay, so we're going to say that's not a prediction. That's more no. just prescient fact. Riboflavin is, um, is uh, being a time travel thing is also from a TV show, one that was very important to me as a child called The Adventures of Pete and Pete. There's literally, literally yeah, there's literally 400 still diehard fans of that show uh, in existence. They all showed up in one theater one time when I was like uh, too young to fly to New Jersey to see Danny Tamborelli uh, host a concert. But yeah, no, they exist. Pete and Pete, I haven't even thought of that in years. Yeah. No, okay. It was real weird playing Grand Theft Auto V because Little Pete was the, you know, stoned out son. Video games, you're talking my language. I've got a bunch of those, so I can, <laughs> I can pop that in and look. But Well, speaking of sponsors, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss a few more Simpsons predictions. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, 
is creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back. All right, we are talking Simpsons predictions now. The next one that I have on my list, like I said, I got like six of them here. That, and I'm trying to find the most benign ones and work our way up to the Jesus Christ ones. You work your way up to Donald Trump? Yes, he's, he's the grand finale. We'll get to him. Okay. Um, Blinky the Three-Eyed Fish. They're calling, oh, yeah. They're calling Blinky the Three-Eyed Fish a prediction. Blinky comes from an episode in season two, episode four, 1990. They're calling it a true prediction because Blinky was discovered in the runoff water from the Springfield nuclear power plant. And he was developed uh, as, a, as a way to show the dangers of escaping radiation and toxic uh, dumping and things like that. More than a decade later, they found a three-eyed fish in a reservoir in Argentina where the rum reservoir was fed from water from a nuclear power plant. So, this one, yeah, this one I'm going to rank a little closer as an actual prediction, right? Because the intent of the Simpsons in this case was to show that nuclear power is going to mess a bunch of stuff up. And it did. And, well, a three-eyed fish or a two-headed cow or a, or a bisected frog or mutations even when there isn't radiation floating around in this case it happened to be near a radioactive like location this is a halfway decent prediction like i don't think this one is is bad in any way as a prediction but it's also not uh earth shattering yeah it's not a surprise yeah exactly like yeah no dangers of nuclear nuclear power although still safer than a half dozen other types of power this is true Unless you have Homer J. Simpson working the board. I mean, that's the problem, right? They'll always go for the cheapest one. So we, in, in this capitalistic society that we live in, mm-hmm. uh, we, go, we always go for the cheapest, which always puts us in odds of risk. So. Yeah, huh? <laughs> okay, so Blinky's kind of a one-off. He, he was just kind of a... I didn't even think he'd make the list, honestly. So let's see. Um, season 5, episode 10... 1993. The Simpsons predicted entertainers Siegfried and Roy would be mauled by or tigers mm-hmm. that they, they have in their captivity during a 1993 episode called Springfield or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Legalized Gambling. Right. Did you did you watch Tiger King? I have not, no. Okay. Everyone seems to have. Yeah, everyone has because. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the hipster on this one. One of my podcasts informed me of the existence of Joe Exotic a couple of years before this documentary came out. Okay. As as they followed his various in, insanities in the trial, the the long and the short is, if you keep tigers, eventually you're gonna get bit by a tiger. The tigers are wild animals. They are right. not tame animals. There's a big big, big difference. 
And also, they were going for the comedy, right? A couple of years after that episode, every cartoon on the planet had an episode about Steve Irwin getting killed by a bear or something, because he then just came later. It's low-hanging comedic fruit. And, like, that's not even a terribly funny joke. Yeah, that's a good episode. It's a really good episode. But, like, that's not one of the funny parts of it. And, you know, so prediction... Uh, no, leaning for an obvious joke that's so obvious that the universe agreed. <laughs> so yeah, less of a prediction than more of an eventuality. Uh-huh, exactly. And, and yeah, so 10 years later, obviously, for those of you who don't know, uh, Siegfried Horn was attacked by one of their uh, supposedly not tame, I don't know the right word, uh, show tigers. Trained. One of the white yeah. show tigers. And uh, Messed him up pretty good. He's still alive, as far as I know. I'm excited for you having to add a supplemental addendum to this podcast for your 19-year-old listeners to explain just who the hell Siegfried and Roy were. Because that was a weird moment when everybody in America knew who those guys were. Okay, for those of you who don't know who the hell Siegfried and Roy are, Siegfried and Roy are biggest entertainers. No, you're absolutely right. I've got to explain it. You do? Siegfried and Roy were, were... Tiger tamers, basically. They were uh, an extension from an old circus trope where people fuck with tigers for fun and profit. And they had the flamboyant German accents. Well, that might have just been because they were flamboyant Germans, but... Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did we ever find out if they're dating? Oh, I'm sure they were. Okay, good. I'm sure they were. Good for them. But... uh, Yes, they were uh, Vegas entertainers, made a big, big name uh, at the, what was it? I want to say it was the Atlantic Hotel and Casino, but I don't remember the name, whichever casino, uh, with their tigers, and they do these live tiger shows, and uh, it's all fun and games until it isn't, and one of the tigers snapped and badly mauled Siegfried. Uh, he's still alive, but uh, I'm, I'm venture to say he probably doesn't fuck with tigers anymore, so... Yeah. All right. So that's a prediction, more of an eventuality. Okay, I got you. Going down the list, we have... Oh, this one's a fun one. Predicted in 1998, happened in 2017. Disney acquires 21st Century Fox. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Uh, Okay, let's see. uh, The Simpsons prediction... When you dish upon a star, they just put a splash screen up that said a division of 21st Century Fox or or whatever. 21st Century Fox, a division of the Walt Disney Corporation. Right. So that one, that one is really interesting because it's part of a very, very, very long running series of, of The Simpsons just shitting all over 20th Century Fox. <laughs> because they could. They they got a writer in their contract that they were never required to accept notes, and therefore they didn't. Futurama did the same thing, by the way. I distinctly remember there's an episode of Futurama where they're like it's stock market stuff, and there's a little stock ticker crawling along at the bottom, and it's all normal numbers. This one up four, this one down three or whatever. And then News Corp, who owns who owns Fox, comes rolling by and it's like down five hundred or whatever. They they will not take an opportunity to not to to not crap all over Fox. That's all this was. 
it must have been extremely galling to an executive at Fox in, <laughs> what did you say this was, 1999? Uh, the episode was in 1998. Eight, in 98, to see 20th Century Fox, a subsidiary of Walt Disney Corporation on it. That, that, that joke was targeted at us to get it and chuckle a little bit and to make like five people really, really, really mad. I imagine Rupert Murdoch had a fit. I imagine Rupert Murdoch didn't notice because he was too blitzed out on bourbon. The <laughs> um, the fact that Disney is also like a cavernous, soul-swallowing monstrosity, it's not like they didn't also repeatedly parody that as well, right? These are just showing the traits of the companies that exist in the world, right? Because they, they've done Disney. Itchy and Scratchy are almost always shown as a Disney thing when... Mm-hmm. Um, when whenever they become an actual like plot point in an episode um and and scratchy land i remember exactly that was westworld but the um, (laughs) kind of yeah it was westworld and jurassic park both movies came out at the same time and so like there it was the um but like the one where uh chester a lampwick uh turned out to have invented itchy um, and, like, they found the screens from Steamboat Itchy, which is, I mean, like, it's <laughs> it's not even a parody. It's just, it's Steamboat Mickey, and then he machine guns Scratchy's knees out from under him. It, it, like, they're more than happy to make fun of Disney as well, and the fact that Disney would eat anything they could was nakedly clear in 1998, and has come all the rest of the way true because nobody enforces antitrust laws in this country. Mm, unless they do, which... Well, <sighs> and, and whatever, this is where my law breaks in because it's hard to do so with intellectual property. We're not here for that. This is not that kind of podcast, I assume. No. Uh, <laughs> for those of you listening, Anthony is is a, a bar certified lawyer, so. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, expressly uh, able to wax philosophical on the law when he needs to. Uh, hopefully you don't need to very often. That seems exceedingly boring. I avoid it when I can. Hmm. All right. And so the last one we'll talk about before the next break here, I want to talk about, okay, this is actually kind of leading up to Mr. Trump here, but uh, uh, faulty voter machines predicted in season 20, episode four, Treehouse of Horror 19. Uh, I'm going to read the little blurb I got. In the cold open of the 19th installment of Treehouse of Horror, which was linked to the 2008 elections. Homer goes into a booth to attempt to vote for Barack Obama, only for the computerized machines to counter for John McCain. It took a full election cycle for this one to occur as a 2012 viral video depicted a voting booth in Pennsylvania doing the same thing with Obama and Mitt Romney. So, again, I would say this is hard to make as a prediction. This is an easy one. Go for it. I'm also a political science major. Go. This already happened in 2004, four years before this happened. This is why John Kerry didn't win the election in 2004 in Ohio, is because the vote machines were changing votes at the time. And for reasons that are deeply unclear to me still, I assume he got bribed, John Kerry just stopped all his lawsuits over it at the end at the end of that election. And everybody just sort of brushed it under the table that all these Republican-controlled 
companies with black box voting that you can't actually monitor in any way, just for whatever reason, obliterated the exit polls and would not turn over any of their data. I'd say interesting if it wasn't more horrifying. It's entirely true and has been like, I mean, there's a reason why computer scientists will tell you that the stupidest way to vote is on a computer. The, there's, no, that had already happened. That wasn't a prediction. That was, that was, that, 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 that was an anti-prediction. That, that wasn't Prometheus. It was Epimetheus. <laughs> now, speaking as a political science major, and I know this is kind of coming off of the topic, but you brought it up. So I'm going to blame you for this one. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's been a lot of hullabaloo lately about uh, mail-in voting. I live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Washington has a very robust mail-in voting system. That's right. Uh, the state of Oregon uh, to the south of us also has a very robust and, and well-received uh, mail-in voting system. Uh, but it's come under a lot of fire recently um, from him who shall not be named at the top. Uh, who not only states that it's not a reliable way to vote and that it's uh, faulty and flawed, but then has been found to be using the exact same system to do his voting. Yeah. Uh, which it's less of a topic of conversation, more of just idle confusion and kind of hand wringing and throwing up your hands going, well, this is the timeline we live in now. Uh, so, I have a theory about that. Yes, what's up? You know when David Bowie died? It was no. February of 2016. It might have been March. Sometime around there, yeah. In my, I, like, I'm not a Bowie fan. I've, I like some of his songs. Great. Some people worship the man. Also fine. David Bowie was a weirdness sink. He enveloped, took into himself, and spread out into the world in a more contained fashion much of the weirdness that 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 the world produces upon his death it was free to to go from there harambe died um, like a minute later the, and and it it was we were off to the races and and like and that's why we're in the timeline we're in that's the secret message to his last album black star Oh, what do you call a black star? A black hole. What do you call a black hole? Something that has inescapable gravity. His inescapable weirdness sink. <laughs> so, so you're you're saying that uh, the death of David Bowie was the beginning of the negative timeline? Yes. I mean, I can't say you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to take another real quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get to the matter at hand, and we will continue talking about Simpsons predictions. Voting isn't just going to the polls on election day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step -step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, 
explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Welcome back. All right, so we've avoided it as long as we possibly can. And so we come to the crux of the matter. Mr. Anthony, I think you know where I'm going with this. Like Donald given that Trump. I spoiled it 20 minutes ago. Yeah, yes. well, Donald Trump. Now, the Simpsons predicted, according to the, the lists that I have read, in season 11, episode 17, the episode titled Bark to the Future. And I'll read you the little blurb. Uh, the Simpsons took a peek into the future. Lisa's become the president of the United States. While in a cabinet meeting, she offhandedly mentions, we inherited quite the budget crunch from President Trump. Initially, it was a reference to Trump attending as a run as a Reform Party candidate, but the words gained much more validity when Trump was elected president in 2016. The week after the election, the recurring chalkboard gag even read, being right sucks. Being right sucks more than anything else you can imagine here. Well, so the fact that they referred to him as being the Reform Party candidate gives away the whole thing, right? That's a Ross Perot reference right there. And I don't know if you remember Ross Perot particularly well. I know nobody who's under 30 does. Isn't he the dude that looks like a Keebler elf? Right, he was like a five foot four Texas all man billionaire, and I mean an actual billionaire, not this time, not whatever the hell Donald Trump is that he has to bother <laughs> selling steaks, um, and who steaks. was a yeah right, who is a clown, who who's just a absolute clown, who I saw parodied on children's television show all that as a child because he's that much of a, of a clown. Donald Trump is a clown. Donald Trump is nakedly a clown. They were reaching for the most absurd figure they could possibly think of for a flash forward to Lisa becoming the president. They succeeded. They clearly succeeded. And the timeline has come along with it. It's <laughs> awful. It is the most terrible thing. This wasn't a prediction. It, they were just reaching for it. Like, they could have also said, you know, President uh, Howard Stern, right? And it would have been probably a worse joke, but just as bad of a real situation, just as likely of a real situation. Right, because they weren't looking for somebody who was super presidential. They weren't looking for someone who was... Oh well, maybe if he considered a run, he could be okay. Then they were looking for the biggest clown shoes they could fill. Exactly. Like I, I was looking at a list of these predictions as well, and there was one. And, and, and let me let me just say, let me put this out there. That's not just me being political, uh, which I am, but that is just straight up. If you had looked at Donald Trump ten years ago, no one would have ever thought presidential material. He's the first president to have ever received a stone cold stunner. Sold it terribly. The like <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. Barack Obama would never receive a stone cold stunner, or you know, whatever. Probably be the one giving it. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Um, he's really tall, though. It would be really it, like it, it'd be hard for him to get like the head over his shoulder. Um, 
the um yeah they were looking for a clown they were looking for the least presidential person they could there's a I, I've been looking at these lists too. There, there's an episode in like season 23 or something where they've put together a betting pool for who wins a Nobel prize. And one of the names on the betting pool did in fact win a Nobel prize years. I remember later. that Nelson put in a vote uh, that was the it, one that popped up, wasn't it? Millhouse. It was a Millhouse. Millhouse. Okay. Nelson's a bully. He has literally nuke the whales posters on his wall. He's not interested in betting on who wins the Nobel prize. In I economics. picked the wrong name. I was trying, I was, what was it? I was thinking of Martin Prince. My bad. You were thinking of Martin who was also in that scene and database and Lisa, of course the, um, the nerds. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the the all of the kids that were introduced in Lisa's Comet, who I I love, I love Database. He's one of my favorites. The um, but the, like but, him. Yeah, well, fair. The <laughs> but the thing is, like, they took that and took a bunch of people because Nobel prizes take twenty years to happen, right? Like, your big work happens twenty years before you get a Nobel prize. In most fields, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't follow economics because I think it's bullshit anyway. But the, <laughs> um, but like they, the writers of the show are nerdy enough to find the kind of people who had been in talks for a Nobel Prize before, right? The voting isn't necessarily secret in these. And so they were actually predicting that a bunch of these people might get Nobel Prizes in the future, and one did. Great. Real prediction. Not a hard one, but a real prediction. This, this was comedy. There's a big difference between a real prediction and comedy. The, the comedy of the real prediction is that these people would study Nobel Prize potentials in economics, which is like an insane person's behavior. The insane person's behavior in this case is all down to Donald Trump. You I know? agree. Yeah, it's not. And like in the course of, of this thing, I pulled up something that I've kept in mind through this in uh, season five, episode 17, Bart gets an elephant. There's a bit where Stampy, the elephant goes on, goes on a rampage. He, he escapes. Right. And Stampy. as, yeah, as part of the joke, he runs through the Republican convention and the democratic convention. He gets cheers in the Republican one and boo in the democratic one. Cause the elephant mm -hmm. is the symbol mm -hmm. of the Republicans. Right. That's not where the joke is. The joke here is the, banners above the conventions. I'm staring at a GIF right now. The, when he walks through the Republicans, there are two banners that say, we want what's worst for everyone and we're just plain evil. And walks through the Democrats and says, we hate life uh, and ourselves and we can't govern. You could say those are all predictions because they're entirely true in every case but also they're just insightful political commentary that that's all it is. You know, the, there was an episode where uh, sideshow Bob runs for mayor as a Republican and in among the various Republicans that select him for the job is a literal blood sucking vampire. It's insightful political secret commentary. society. I remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's Monty Burns and Rainier Wolfcastle and a vampire. That Ken Rockman. Guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the, the oil oil man who I think got a name in one of the later seasons. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I like that guy. Maybe the one where Homer was dueling with everybody. Anyway. Um <laughs> and and it's just like anybody with eyeballs can recognize that the Republican Party stands for what is good for like 300 obscenely rich people. And that's it. 
Democrats are disorganized and can't propagandize as well and are kind of not great at the stuff in the back. It's that simple. It doesn't, it, it's not a prediction. It's what is. So it's not a prediction. It's what is. Ah. So were there any predictions that you researched that you thought uh, we should talk about that we didn't hit on or? I mean, aside from the, um, aside from the, the, the one with the Nobel prize, that, that was a good one. The other one that I am reasonably impressed by, but I have to rely on other people's brains for is uh, the existence of the Higgs boson. Did you read, about, I read this one? about I read about that one. Okay, yeah. So in uh, episode in season 10, wherein Homer tries to become a Thomas Edison style inventor, he slaps an equation up on a board and it turns out that equation is similar to, but not the same as an equation that finds the mass of the Higgs boson, which was a uh, hard to define and or explain physics issue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to get into it because I barely understand it at best. But, like, A, it's well known that The Simpsons and Futurama both have mathematicians on their writing staff. Like, oh, absolutely. They have some of the smartest writers available. They have a, right, which is why there are so many jokes about Harvard in those episodes with, uh, with, um, uh, with Itchy and Scratchy. Like, making fun of Harvard writers doing these kids' cartoons. is because they're all from friggin' Harvard. <laughs> the, um, and I'm pretty sure those are actual characters, caricatures of the writers as well, who, you know, get, get nameplates thrown to their heads. Um, you know, it, they did some pretty good math, probably. Again, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough math to know if it is. I'm trusting some guy's book. Nonetheless, good prediction. I like that one. That's a good one. I did a lot of reading on that one. And again, same thing you said. I didn't want to really get into it because I'm, I'm really outclassed by that uh, mathematician bit. I'm not, I'm not a math guy by any stretch of the imagination. Right now, I can barely English. So... Uh, but, <laughs> but I did read about that one and that one was actually, I guess they got it really, really close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like you say, they, they just have the smartest writers in the room, David X. Cohen and, and some of the others who went on to, uh, do Futurama. I've listened to a couple of them in podcasts talking about, uh, how all the science works in Futurama at least. And, you know, because they talk a lot of science in Futurama. Yeah, they do. And a lot of math and a lot of of calculations and equations. And all of them are well-researched, well-thought-out, because, like you say, they have the mathematicians. They have the people come in and and contribute to the show. In addition to that, David X. Cohen is also a mathematician and very, very smart and very... uh, into putting nerdy shit into nerdy shit so yeah if Um, memory serves there's an episode of futurama after they came back wherein uh, they found a thing or invented a thing where everybody could swap bodies and but you could never swap back in the same direction so they had to literally come up with an equation to make sure it was theoretically possible to get everybody back in their bodies by the end of the episode like they made new math for this, for for, for this one dumb conceit. 
And like, this is the kind of people we're talking about. I'm impressed by this almost takes Boson. Assuming it's real. I don't know. I, like, there's the problem. Like, some other guy wrote a book about The Simpsons. I don't know if I trust him. There's, right. there's the issue, right? Well, we're all fallible and everyone has an agenda, apparently. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me check uh, my notes here. A lot of it ends up wrapping back around into uh, the coronavirus anymore because that seems to be the big stretch. But uh, one of the articles I read uh, came from January of 2020 talking about predictions that have not come true but certainly could and just kind of a taste of what might come. If you do and, 30 seasons, they've made jokes about literally everything on the planet. There's the Simpsons did it moment from South Park. Like, that doesn't count for anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, because they're just talking about things like hover cars and mind control through music and oh, virtual reality. The, the yes. Enjoy the <laughs> Navy. I remember that one. Uh, colonization of Mars, hologram mail, Suppression of green energy. Now, here's a here. Hold on a goddamn minute. All right. Suppression of green energy as a might have happened. No, it's an active happening. Look at our yes, government system right now. Yeah, for some reason, I, I can't figure out why, but it's apparently socialism to help a green energy company, but good old fashioned American capitalism if you give that same money to an oil company or a coal division or. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's see what else. Uh, Large-scale environmental disaster. Hello. I mean, also, there are, what, America gets hit by six hurricanes a year, right? Like, just every year, our country will be hit by a hurricane. There will always be large-scale environmental disasters somewhere in the world, because that's how an environment works. Here's kind of what I think we break it down to, and and, and feel free to jump in if I say anything out of pocket, but it's just like you said. The Simpsons has been around for a very long time. They are able to throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. And when you throw everything at the wall and something sticks, that doesn't make it a prediction. It's just kind of a, a happenstance. And especially as it comes into regards to the coronavirus or things like Donald Trump, it's not really predicting. It's more not even educated guesswork half the time. It's just what would be funny in the moment and then watching the timeline warp to that. Uh, yeah. And, and that, now we realize ex- it's not so funny anymore. That's exactly it. The universe has a sense of humor. The, discounting my insane David Bowie theory entirely, the universe has a sense of humor and does operate with a sense of irony. Some of the shit's going to happen because having Donald Trump as a president is exactly the kind of thing that a universe that believes in irony is going to do. And it like turns out comedy also needs a bunch of, a a, a bunch of irony. And Mm. so here we are staring down a plague for which we are woefully unprepared And, in fact, numerous people are intentionally trying to make sure that more people die so that their stock prices don't go down. 
there was an exchange between Universal and AMC. Now, AMC oh, yeah, being I saw this. the big theater company that runs, you know, a huge swath of the theaters across the country. And in other countries, too. I'm not trying to be, like, Eurocentric here or American-centric here. we got enough of that going on. But uh, the decision to run Trolls World Tour as a video direct release, uh, which was not originally the plan, ANC kind of conceded a little bit and said, okay, fine. And it's as a one-off, we get it, do it. But once the numbers from that came in, ANC or Universal was going, oh, video on demand's great. We might just do day and day to video on demand all the time. And so AMC released a statement, and it's not even an ambiguous statement. It was a very well thought out, very well worded statement saying, we will not run any universal pictures in our theaters because of this. Yeah. That's a lot. There's going to have to be some serious renegotiation to get that shit back on the table. The theater industry is dead. The, the movie studios have been attempting to control and or destroy the theater industry since at least the 50s. This is more law background, but there's a really important antitrust case from way back about that. And this is the opportunity they're going to take to put them the hell out of business. Because the studios don't want somebody else to control the eyeballs that get the money. They don't give a damn how much fucking popcorn AMC sells. Because AMC mm-hmm. makes all its money on popcorn. It doesn't make any, any money on the, on the tickets. Right. It sells the tickets at cost, makes money on popcorn. Disney doesn't care how much money AMC makes on popcorn. They want that money without a middleman. They want all of that. And coronavirus will be the excuse they use to get it. And what that means is by the time this thing is done, every major movie chain will be out of business. The major companies will have moved entirely to streaming and all those old buildings will get bought up by the kind of second run theater, which I personally love where they sell some, where they sell tickets to stuff from two months ago and you get burgers and beer to go with it. And the, and the ticket is three bucks, but the like food costs money and tastes way better. I'm, terrified that you're right because i mean i love the movie going experience i'm a film guy that's kind of what i what i did in college that's where i went and and to see that kind of i mean i i get it i feel exactly what you're saying i mean they're going to use any opportunity they can to cut out that middleman but that doesn't make it any less horrifying i mean movies as a business as i mean like we've already talked about it twice on this podcast already about disney right we knew they were an enormous crack and trying to eat everything. Why not one more thing? Right? How much money are they going to be able to sell the next Spider-Man movie for to your home streaming if they can do it on day one? It's interesting. And then, of course, I'm not the mathematician. I don't have the numbers on that. Also, but, that's uh, technically Sony, but yeah. Hmm. Big movie company selling direct-to-video on demand What's I mean, that's going to raise a whole bunch of different piracy issues. That's going to raise a whole bunch of different... The studios are more than willing to risk a few pirates to burn down the movie theaters. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. Not interesting good, not interesting bad, just more educational at this point, I suppose. But uh, anyways, so 
Well, Anthony, I want to thank you for coming onto the podcast and, and talking Simpsons with me. Thanks for uh, having me. I'm hoping to have you on uh, from time to time. We could talk about other nerdy things. I'm sure there's more than ample room for topic and discussion. I've got tons. Bring uh, me on for anything. Well, except for uh, Seinfeld. I've barely watched any Seinfeld. I don't know much about Seinfeld either. There you go. I'm bringing you on if I need a lawyer too. Somebody don't. If somebody sues me, I'm going to come find you. Yeah. Okay, but don't do that <laughs> on the podcast. That'll. Uh, that's bad for more reasons than I can count. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, as always, I want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. Uh, again, if you're looking for any of our older episodes, you can go to our anchor page, anchor.fm forward slash Feel Your Fandom. That gives you uh, not only the links to the podcast, but also the ability to find all the different podcast streaming services that we're available on, including Google, Apple, and Spotify, to name a few. Uh, It also gives you the ability to uh, become a fan of the show on that page and uh, send us messages. Uh, You can also email us at uh, feelyourfandom at gmail.com, or you can also uh, send us a voicemail on our anchor page. Uh, and if you decide you want to uh, kick down a few bucks to help keep the costs down on this, uh, you're available to do that there as well, which we appreciate. But that all being said, I want to thank you guys again and hope you guys are taking care, uh, staying safe in this uh, dark and dismal timeline that we live in, and look for the hope. Look for the positivity as best you can, because it is out there. It may be a little harder to find, but it's out there. And uh, like I always try to remind everybody, Uh, everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.